welcome once again to the Hills Church. I'm Matthew, I'm one of the pastors here, and we just thank you for, for joining us online. Um, we know this is not ideal, uh, but so just, again, we thank you for being here, and, and we'd love to hear from you in the comments, and give us a, a hey, how's it going, just so we know you're, you're there, and uh, that, would, that would help us out a little bit. Um, and gee, thanks for, for leading us this morning, appreciate it. Um, this morning we're gonna. It's gonna be a bit of a uh, a soul searching time together. But before we get there, I just want to start on a little bit of a lighter note as we as we get going, um, just to kind of set the set the tone a little bit. Because we are gonna we can go deep, maybe just a, a little bit heavy. So I thought we'd start with uh, figuring out what your um, stay at home quarantine social distancing name is. Right, um, and so the way we play this, and I've seen this on, online recently, is uh, so in the comments, what your first name is going to be is, is your mood, and your last name is going to be your last uh, snack that you ate, whatever you had out of the pantry. So your first name is, is your mood. So for me, uh, first name is restless. That's the first name. Uh, last name is big biscuit. Uh, so it's restless big biscuit. I mean, you could you could probably just call me big biscuit. <laughs> That would that would be fine. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we got that out. Oh man, it might be the I just heard my. Uh, it's no good. No, I think you Lord doesn't like it. <laughs> I don't think she'll ever call you. Mm. <laughs> Maybe we need to figure uh, something else out. Yeah, yeah, edit that out. I don't know what we're gonna, what we're gonna do. <laughs> but uh, that, that's the food Big biscuit. that I ate. That's it. Big biscuit shredded wheat. I can't help this. That's the Should we edit uh, that out? No, keep it. <laughs> we should keep all of this right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was going to be. Yeah, let's do okay. it. Okay, all right. Well... If you're uh, if you're a guest with us, if you're still hanging around and haven't exited the uh, video, <laughs> we'd love to know if you're uh, joining us. I don't know how we come back from this. We'll, we'll try. Just keep going. But there was a there was a a link for a contact form in the in the comments there, and if you'll fill out that contact form, uh, it just helps us get to know you a little bit, and we will uh, donate five dollars to stop human trafficking project rescue. On your behalf, so if you'll just uh, fill it out, we'd appreciate it. And then when we conclude today, we're going to conclude with uh, communion together. It's the first time we've done that digitally, and so at some point, feel free to get up and get what you need for communion. It could be bread or juice, and crackers or bread, or even even just water is fine. And so feel free to, to get that as we're going, and we'll take communion here together when we're finished. And then next Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter, and Easter is traditionally, it's like the, not traditionally, it is the, the biggest Sunday in the Christian calendar, uh, and for the, the church worldwide, and it's going to look a little bit different this year, uh, but we still want to celebrate that, and, uh, you know, we're here in our living room, you can hear, hear my, my daughter uh, chat and give me some say amens as we're going, um, but we really want to we had, we had plans for Easter. We were going to have this big pageant. 
uh, donkeys, camels, pyrotechnics. We decided it's probably not best. So we're going to go simple. Just And we're calling it Easter in a Box. And so we're putting together uh, boxes that will help next Sunday be as interactive as possible. So if you go to thehillsdenver.com slash Easter, uh, you can sign up there. And basically what we're putting together is a communion, uh, a small gift from us, some crafts for the kids, some activities. Uh, and then next Sunday, join us online. It'll just help our time together be more uh, interactive and participatory. And so we really encourage you to fill that out. And then if you could do that by at least Tuesday, because we have to, to, to put the boxes together, then we want to have several days where we're not touching them. We're going to put them together while we're wearing masks and, and gloves uh, so as, as sanitary as, as possible. Well, how was week three? How was week three of our uh, social distancing? I've heard from, uh, from some of you, I've heard from others, uh, that the, the virus is, is coming closer and closer to home. Of course, we've had people who have been laid off, but then just <clears throat> we have more and more people who uh, their immediate family members have been, uh, have been diagnosed or in the hospital, um, someone on our staff, their family members on a, on a respirator. So it's just, it's, it's becoming closer to home. Um, my, my brother-in-law, he is two months from retiring from the Army. Two months. And just a couple of days ago, he was deployed to Seattle to help set up a, a hospital there, a temporary hospital. And, and so he, he's just got two months to go, and he's deployed last, last minute, so close to, uh, to retirement. And he's a chaplain, and he's already, even before they were deployed, he was counseling people who were having anxiety attacks, like going into that situation. Because if, if you're in the military, it's not a choice. It's an order to go. And so... So family members on the front lines there. A good friend of mine from college uh, this, this past week, his, his dad passed away from the virus. And, uh, and it just happened so fast. Like if, if you have someone who, who's sick, someone in, you know someone in the hospital, you know that this is a fast-moving virus. And the hard part is um, that if someone is sick, that they, they have to be isolated. And so they, they potentially are in the hospital room and they're by themselves, except for the, the caregivers. Um, and, and if you're the family member, our, our first reaction is to go and be with our loved one. Uh, but because of, of this virus, we are, we're unable to, and, and, and we just feel this futility in that moment, this powerlessness. And the most recent reports that I've seen this week is that the, the coming weeks potentially could get much worse. Um, more people are going to get sick. More people are going to go to the hospital. And I'm not trying to be fatalistic. I'm just trying to be realistic about what I'm hearing in the news. Um, and so we want to make sure, as we're gathering together on Sundays, as we're connecting with each other throughout the week, that we are, we are doing well, that, that you are doing well, that you are uh, thriving in, in this. And, and last week I asked the question, do you feel like you are prospering during this time? Like, how are you doing? How, how are you doing physically? How are you doing mentally? And, and last week, we, we talked about the need for creating some spiritual disciplines in our life, especially as, as we're at home or um, under the stay-at-home order. Um, and then my challenge was, was for you to spend time each day um, in prayer, scripture reading, 
listening, and to not turn on your smartphone, not check social media, not check the news until at least 10 a.m. So that was my challenge last week. So how, how did it go? How did you do? Horrible here from the, the folks in the, in the living room. Um, but that's okay, because uh, tomorrow's fresh start. It's Monday. We can, can try it again. But I would encourage you to keep those spiritual disciplines going. And my plan was to can continue talking about those spiritual disciplines, um, to talk about how what it looks like in community, encouraging one another, spending time with one another. Uh, but as, as the week has progressed, and then I've heard just more news reports coming out. I felt that we'd take just a little bit of a different direction. We, w- we will come back to spiritual disciplines in, in a future week. Um, but as, as we're moving into these, these coming weeks, um, it seems like we're headed for some dark times. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but, you know, I, I've never lived next to a, a place that had to prepare for a hurricane. Like, I've lived close where we had some residual rains. I've never been in a place where, like, they said, 24 hours, the storm's coming, you got to get ready. If you've ever seen the news or lived in one of those places, you know that when the, when the storm is coming, that the people get out the plywood, they, they put it on the windows, they put it on the doors, they, they go and they, they fill up their um, generators, top them off with fuel, they go grab water, food. Like, they are getting prepared for the storm. Um, and I feel like one of the best ways that I can serve you today is to prepare you for the coming storm. And it's, it's not a doom or gloom. Like the storm may, it may not happen. But at some point, all of us in life go through something. All of us face loss of a loved one. All of us uh, face sickness. All of us face our own diminishing health. And so I want to prepare us for that storm. How do we get prepared? Uh, there was a man in, in Scripture very prominent in Scripture. In fact, his name is mentioned over a thousand times in the pages of Scripture. Most of it's in the Old Testament, but even the New Testament, his his name is mentioned almost 60 times. And it's David. David uh, was a shepherd, but he grew up, and God anointed him to be the king of his people, Israel. And he was a warrior, and he was an artist. And he he was comfortable around the brave and the heroic, and he was comfortable around the, the songwriters and the musicians, because he was both. Uh, but he did not, when you think of someone being the king, you think of like a, a charmed life, or an easy, an easy life, a life of, of luxury and ease. But that, that was not David's life. Um, and you can read in, in the Old Testament books of First and Second Samuel, David's story, and much of it is, is tragic. Much of the tragedy he brings on himself, as his own failures, but I mean, his, his closest advisor betrayed him. His enemies were, were numerous. The, the threats, threats against his life, they were constant. His, his worst foes were those in his own household, his, his children. His children were his greatest affliction. I mean, one son disgraced him, and another son revolted. Another son, while David was dying, tried to set up his own kingship. I mean, he had problems uh, on the outside. He had problems on the inside. And it was just a constant cycle for David of, of trial after trial. No sooner had he come out from one thing, and he's, he's back in it. Um, and he often wrote, he often wrote what he was feeling. He often wrote down his, his emotions, and he didn't hold 
back. And we have a number of his writings in Scripture, in the Psalms. And I think it's his, his life experience and the, and the rawness with which he wrote the Psalms that uh, Christians for the last 2,000 years have embraced the Psalms and have found solace in them. Um, and so whatever frame of mind we find ourselves, David and the other psalmists, they put words to our emotions, whether it's like our best of days and we're just ecstatic, or it's our, our worst of days and we are feeling depressed. Uh, David, he was just a master of, of the human heart because he had the best training possible. It was the school of real life. And that's uh, one of the, the beauties of Scripture, the beauties of the Psalms, that there is no sugarcoating. There is no just, hey, let's put on a smile. Everything's going to be all right. Like this is, is down in the dirt, heartfelt, personal experience that we have in the Psalms. And in the Psalms, we, we hear him cry out. And, and sometimes like, um, when he's not doing so well, when he's going through something difficult, he, he cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you, you can almost hear the, the tears in his words. But then the, the next psalm, you'll, you'll hear him sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And then you hear him singing, I sink into the deep mire where there is no footing. You just can't get a, a foothold. And then and in another psalm, he's, he's exalting, saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And so this morning, I want to look at one of those psalms. That's Psalm 73. And, um, and this we're not going to be necessarily a point-by-point point teaching this morning. This is more of a, a devotional, again, preparing for the storm that is coming. So Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now these words, they may or may not have been composed by David. Uh, at the beginning of Psalm 73, it says this is a, a psalm of uh, Asaph. And Asaph was... A, um, he was in King David's cabinet, so to speak. Like David had his uh, secretary of defense, as any good king would have, but he also had a secretary of music, his chief musician. And it was Asaph. And, and Asaph, uh, scholars believe, he, he either authored these, these psalms, there's, there's about 10 or 12, I believe, that uh, have his name on it, or he collected them and they became part of the, the hymnal. Uh, of the people of God, known as known as the Psalms. Um, so, what, but whether it was David or Asaph who, who wrote this, I think we can conclude by the words that they were intimately familiar with the God of Israel. Uh, we know David heard God's voice and responded to God. Um, but whether it was Asaph or not, the psalmist is able to say, "Whom I have, whom have I in heaven, but you?" He has the psalmist has a singular passion, and focus in life. And it's God. And this is, this is really quite remarkable when you back up just a few verses and see what the psalmist is saying about himself. Uh, for, for example, uh, in verse 22, he says, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Uh, and, when, and when he concludes what he has to offer God, he concludes not much. I don't, I don't have much to, to offer. And, and the verses just before this, uh, the psalmist is basically presenting a, a why God scenario. 
Like, I, I don't know if you've ever presented a, a why God scenario, but the, the psalmist is um, he's looking at what's happening around him. Uh, the good guys are down. The bad guys are up. And he's like, what gives? Like, why, why God is this happening? And he never gets an answer. He never has, uh, gets a resolve from God in this crying out of, of why God. But what he does finally understand is that he himself, he says, I am senseless and ignorant. Now, to be considered ignorant, ignorant in any culture is uh, it's not a compliment. Um, and to see yourself as senseless is not a normal posture. Right? When was the last time you, you thought of yourself as being without sense? It's not a frequent posture that, that we take. But in the psalmist's relation to God and his wisdom, and in our relation to God and his wisdom, we are senseless. We are ignorant. I mean, think about your own, your own faith journey. I mean, just the other day, you, you said to God, God, I will never doubt you again. You've taken me through this, this storm, and, and my, my trust is in you fully. And then just this very morning, you might have woke, woken up with doubts in your mind. With, with anxiety, forgetting the lesson that you learned only yesterday. Or maybe, maybe you're making a strong effort not to be quick-tempered. Like your, your 2020 self-improvement goal was to, uh, to work on your temper, to work on your responses, and then, and then you were forced upon uh, three weeks of close proximity with your children, your significant other, and, I mean, but who can blame you under those circumstances for losing your cool now and again, right? Like, we, we've all, we've felt that. Or maybe you've been making great strides and trusting God with your finances. Like, maybe, maybe you began to, to give uh, in ways you haven't given in the past, and all of a sudden, your next paycheck is uncertain. Or your next paycheck isn't, isn't coming at all, and all of a sudden, you're having to, to battle within yourself, like, am I going to trust God, or am I going to? fear, and doubt, and worry. We are often senseless and ignorant. Now you're probably thinking, yeah, yeah. I, need, I need some encouragement. Like this has been a rough <laughs> rough week. I'm just not, I'm not feeling it. I hear you. We'll get there. Not yet. All right. We're going, going down the road just a bit further. If we could only see ourselves in comparison to God, we would consider our knowledge to be nothing to be lacking. Even with our, our vast resources, we live in a constant twilight. Like we, we don't see clearly our knowledge is, is like, it's foggy at best. Uh, and if we think otherwise, we are actually blind. And um, I think this latest uh, pandemic uh, has put on full display our ignorance. Right? Like we are we are seeking knowledge. We are going after knowledge. We're, we're checking the news stories because we, we don't know. We don't know about this virus. Uh, we don't know how it's going to end. We don't know things like if someone has recovered, let's say they're really sick, can they, can they catch the virus again? And if, if they can, how soon? And, and is it that severe? So that like after this initial quarantine period is over and we stop being quarantined, then is everybody going to get sick? Like we, we, we just don't know. We don't know how it will end. And um, we're really like school children in kindergarten, just trying to learn our ABCs. Like that, that is the extent of our, our knowledge. Um, and it gets, it gets better, though, when the psalmist says that he's senseless, he's ignorant, and he says, I'm like a brute 
beast. <laughs> this word for beast is similar to the word in scripture that's often translated as a behemoth. I think monster-like type creature. And we're not going to dwell on this, but just think of any animal. Any animal, their, their thoughts are about the immediate. They're about satisfying their, their most basic desires. They're not, they're not thinking tomorrow or the future or eternity. So the psalmist says, he's, he's talking about himself here. He says, I was senseless, ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Verse 23 says, yet, or despite that, some versions say, nevertheless, I am always with you. He's talking to God. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Despite what the psalmist has been through, he is continually in the presence of God. God hasn't left him. And in these two verses, he goes from being, I am an animal, to I stand before the throne of God. Like That's basically what he is saying here. You will take me in to glory. And, and I encourage you to, uh, to meditate on, the, on these verses. And he begins in, in the pit, but he ends in heaven. He is before the throne of God. And the goal of our salvation is to, is to bring us before the throne of God in worship. Like that, that is the, our end goal. The chief end of man is to glorify God forever and to enjoy him. Uh, I have this picture in my mind of a ladder and in the psalmist it's like as he goes through he's, he's at the bottom but he's he's climbing up uh, the ladder till he gets to this place where like his circumstances haven't changed in, in these verses like the, the why question hasn't been answered um, he still is senseless and ignorant but his his view of, of God has changed he has been able to, to to come above everything and to see his God for who he is. He says, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you take me into glory. And what he's able to do is see God's character and his ultimate hope. He remembers God's character and his ultimate hope. Um, I mean, he's fully conscious of his own senselessness, his wandering, the deceitfulness of his own nature. And he still says, yet, nevertheless, you are always with me. You are always with me. Uh, you've probably seen or heard or read the, the poem uh, Footprints in the Sand. And in the, the Footprints in the Sand, there's, there's two sets of footprints, and then there's one set of footprints. Um, and then I think there's two sets of footprints again. And, and it's supposed to be symbolic of the Lord and someone walking along with the Lord. And the person walking along looks back and says, well, what about that time when there's only one set of footprints? And God answers, well, that was the time when I was carrying you. When I was carrying you. Um, this week I saw that someone posted a different, uh, different edition of Footprints in the Sand. And it says, but Lord, what about that time when there was only one set of footprints? And the Lord replies, look closer, my child. That was 2020. I was still walking with you, but at a social distance. <laughs> um, <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> God has not left you. That's the uh, that's the point of that. God, God has not left you. Oh, God man. is not practicing social distance in your life, even during the, the why oh, questions. Man. Like the psalmist, you can say, yet you were with me. I was with, was with you. You held me by your right hand. 
Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher in the 1800s in London. And of, of his nearness with God and how, how he was in God's hand, this is what he said. He said, I today, a detestable sinner, am nevertheless, if I believe in Jesus, continually with God, continually upon his mind, he is always thinking of me for my good, continually before his eye, the eye of the Lord never sleeps, but he is perpetually watching for my good, continually in his hand, so that no one shall be able to pluck me from there until omnipotence itself shall be overcome. Continually on his heart, engraven there, worn there as a memorial upon his heart forever. So I just love the, the juxtaposition of this psalm, that between who we are, like we're not much, we don't have much to commend ourselves to the Lord. Despite that, God cares for us. And it's humbling. And it leads to the next verse, the verses that we started with. Psalm 73, verse 25. But whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can you honestly quote verse 25? Like I'm not asking if you have it memorized, but do you live by that verse in comparison to everything else in life? Is God your greatest joy? Is he enough? When all else fails, like when everything else is stripped away, when, when everything is potentially taken from you, is he enough? And I, I wish I was the author of this psalm, but there are days when honestly, there are plenty of things that I desire, at least as much, if not more than God. Um, but these words are written by someone who knows who he is, senseless, ignorant, yet he's able to say, God, there is no one like you. Uh, there is no one who can help me like you. There, there are no amount of experts who can help me. There are no amount of people in my life, no amount of friends, no amount of uh, talking heads in the media. There was no one else beside you. And we are not capable. We are unable to find ultimate satisfaction apart from Christ. You will find no ultimate contentment apart from Christ. And here's the, here's the thing. The psalmist desires God himself. He desires God, not, not what God can do for him, not what God can give him. I mean, early in the psalm, in fact, uh, the writer, he's frustrated because God is not giving him what he wants. God is not coming through for him the way he thinks God should come through. Like, it's like he's, again, he's, why God? Where, why are the wicked prospering? Why is this happening? And, and God is not doing what he wants. He gets upset until he remembers God's character and his ultimate hope. So, question for you is, are you desiring God above all else, above everything else? The, the Apostle Paul, about a thousand years after the psalm was written, he wrote a letter to the church at Philippi, and he's, these were his words. He said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Savior, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I want to know him. I want to know Christ. He has to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Knowing Jesus and loving him, following him, matters more than 
everything else in our lives. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that other things aren't important. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, how we go about our work, it doesn't uh, mean that our integrity doesn't matter, it doesn't mean being uh, a good steward of our relationships, it doesn't mean that uh, we, don't, we don't love the, the body of Christ, or our fellow believers, all those are important, but they're all secondary. They're all secondary. And they flow from a love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. Now, this, the psalmist may have been describing a present circumstance, or he may have been looking ahead to what he knew was inevitable. Uh, we don't know. So, I mean, either way, this encompasses this statement, my, my flesh and my heart, it means like my whole being may fail. And, and you might be doing okay physically, but, but mentally you have been trying to keep out the anxiety and the fear, like putting up mental blocks, but you still feel the, the shadows coming towards you. Um, so that may be where you're failing. It could be your health. Maybe the psalmist, we don't know, but he could be potentially lying in his bed as his life is slipping away. He says, my heart and my flesh may fail. And, and he doesn't say the answer is, so I'm just going to smile. And pretend like everything is okay. That, that is not the answer. He says, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is my strength. God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. And this word strength, sometimes it's also translated as rock. And so when everything else is slipping away, when, when I have nothing else left, God, you are my rock. You are my firm foundation. I can put my hope in you. And that is our hope in Christ. He is the rock of ages. And so that even when our bodies grow frail, even should heaven and earth pass away, God, my rock, will sustain me. And then finally, there are, there are two statements regarding our ultimate hope. In verse 24, it says that God would take us into glory. In verse 26, it says, my portion forever. Uh, Jesus when he was walking the earth, he had uh, close friends, and one of his close friends died. And Jesus shows up, and the people are mourning, and, and they're weeping, and the, the sisters of, of the brother who had, who had died come to him. And, and even Jesus wept at, at the, the death of his, his friend. And Jesus assures them, though. He, he brings them hope. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And the Apostle Paul would, would later write, as, as he was coming to near uh, the end of his ministry, he had, he had done good work, and he was contemplating death. Like he was having to face death. He was facing trials. And he's writing a letter, and he's like, you know, honestly, I don't know what's better for me. It's better for me to stay here with you or for me to depart and to be with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And we believe that Jesus has conquered death by his own death and a resurrection. And that is our ultimate hope and that he will take me in the glory and be my portion forever despite my ignorance, despite my senselessness, despite my failings. And so as we <clears throat> conclude this morning, I just ask you, is Jesus your portion? Is he your greatest desire? 
Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. So we're going to move to a time of communion in just a moment. But before we do that, is going to lead us in a song. And it's just a bit of an older song. But it's a song that expresses a heart yearning for God. And so as you prepare yourself for communion, would you ask yourself, what, what is my heart's greatest desire? What is my heart's greatest affection? And if it's not Jesus, would you take a moment and pray and ask God to, to reorder your heart um, in this moment? <clears throat> this morning. Water. Tostada. Oh, no big biscuit. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, some people might be like, well, Matthew, you can't do communion like that, or that's sacrilege. The, the elements are not as important as the one we're putting our faith in, and the one we're remembering, the one we're recalling. And, um, and, there, and also, 
I've never taken communion digitally before, but I believe there is, there is something tangible that the presence of God is with us when we partake communion. The presence of God is with you. Where you are, the presence of God is here with us as we take communion. And it's something that we can tangibly hold on to. Real, real food, real drink, real triune God as we take communion together. <clears throat> Scripture says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, off, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we partake of the bread and the cup, we are remembering Christ's sacrifice for us. That though we were unworthy, that Jesus died for us, and that we've been adopted into God's family. So that now when God sees me, he doesn't see me and, and my, my brokenness and my poor communion elements, but he sees me as he sees his own son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. And that if, if we uh, confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And so this moment, even if you're watching, you may not uh, be a believer, you may have walked away from God. Today I want to invite you uh, to come back, to come home that Jesus' sacrifice is enough for you. So as we partake communion today, we believe that the presence of God is here and that we are dining with the living God. Uh, and part of our, our normal liturgy is to declare the mystery of our faith. And so you can say it after me if you would like. It's just, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So would you break a piece of bread, break what you have there, and We'll take the, uh, the bread and the cup together. <clears throat> Let me pray for us. Father, we have a lot of questions. There's a lot of things we don't know. But I ask that during this time of uncertainty, that you would be our greatest desire. God, that, that <clears throat> everything else that happens to us, everything else that happens around us, that our affections would be set on you. And that we would be able to, to say like the psalmist, Whom have I in heaven? besides you, and that our trust would be in you, our, our strength, our rock, knowing that one day we will be with you. And I pray uh, for all of us that we would have that, that firm foundation, that trust in you, that despite ourselves, despite uh, the worry and anxiety that might be going through our mind, that we would uh, continually come back to your character and our ultimate hope. Lord, I thank you. In your name I pray.